Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's sermon podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. For more information, visit us online at hcfburnett.org. Amen. Let's pray to this God of miracles. God, I thank you for being the God of miracles. You're the God who comes through the 11th hour, and you're the God who resurrects. Uh, So no matter what it looks like, sometimes it is that last-minute rescue, it's that last-minute move, it's that last-minute swoop in. And then sometimes it's, it's, it's bringing it up out of the ground. And we trust you for that. And I thank you for being the God of miracles in our life. You found us and saved us when there was no shot for us to be saved. And then you gave us a life and a calling and a mission. Would you speak to us today? And Holy Spirit, help us to respond to you. Your name I pray, amen. If you're wondering who that handsome Duck Dynasty singer was, uh, that is Pastor Josh, our new worship pastor. Uh, we're three weeks out from them being here. Uh, better news than even them being here is Baby Melody arrived last night. So, man, she was like, I ain't coming. I'm waiting till y'all get to Texas because I want to be true blue Texan. But... Uh, uh, she, didn't, she didn't get that, but she'll get here as quick as she can. Uh, I, I joked that she was a, a 10-pound Christmas turkey. She almost was. She was 8'11". Uh, but uh, Mom and, and Melody uh, are doing well. And so we're excited for Josh and Kayla and the kids to, to get out here uh, and, and be with us soon. But uh, you'll, you'll see them each week in some fashion on, on camera on, uh, until, they, until they get here in person. But we're excited um, I've just I've never had a Duck Dynasty pastor, so I'm excited for that. So that's gonna be good. I wanna we're looking today at uh, the radical reach of Jesus in our lives and how it how when we live that out because He reached for us that we get to have this faith like Jesus. And uh, it's funny as 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 Morgan and Brandon were sharing, I, and Morgan Morgan was talking. I'm like, she's taking all my lines, but that's okay. And she had no idea uh, because they're living out a mission. And that's a good news. I want to read from Psalm 145 first. Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9. King David writes this. One the, this is a beautiful chapter. You should just note it, go home, read this, meditate on it. Maybe all week that's your devotion, this passage. But I'm going to read verse, uh, this chapter. I'm going to read verses 8 and 9. The Lord is merciful and compassionate. Amen. <laughs> Praise God for that. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Like, how does a parent, how does a father live slow to angry and filled with unfailing love all the time? The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. I was uh, preparing this week and, and reading that, and it reminded me of a, of, of a story. If I were to tell you a story about cocaine abuse and prostitution and a plot to murder someone... You would think is on Netflix, right? Or that Tarantino wrote it and directed it. What if I told you the, the story culminated in, in a church one day? You'd be like, oh, this is different. I don't think Tarantino and church go together. I don't know how many years ago it was, but it was a Monday afternoon. It was rainy. We were living in Alaska. I was doing setup in this one room. This, it was just me. We had only four of us on staff at the time, and only two of us were there on that Monday. Uh, the, the one who ran, did the bookkeeping was, was in her office. And, and this person comes in and says, hey, can I talk to you? I've never seen him before. And I said, sure. And I pulled up a chair and pulled, sat him down. And, and he said, hey. And he begins to unfold this story. And, and he said, uh, my wife is uh, 
addicted to cocaine and her, her provider has also kind of become her pimp and prostitutes her out to pay for her cocaine and I'm on my way over to shoot him and kill him. And I'm like, I didn't ever study that in seminary. I don't know what to do. Can I get somebody else to come in here? Like, I had never dealt with that in person. I wouldn't even, I don't even know how many movies I've seen of that. But I'm like, I don't know if you're in the right place because I don't know if I'm the right guy. And he said, I thought, and he literally said this, I thought it was a good idea to stop by a church before I go do that so that God uh, is nicer to me when I go to heaven. And I'm like, I don't think it works that way, but I'm not going to tell you. And he's like, I got the guns in my truck right now. I'm like, I don't know if I need to hear all this. And, and he said, I've never been in a church in my life except for one time for a funeral a few years ago in this church. It's the only one I knew of that existed that I could walk into. And I'm like, all right. Begins to unpack the story and probably two hours worth of time there. And, and through the course of it, as as he's sharing the story uh, of everything, the, the person actually was his best friend, too. Like that he was on the way over, and, and, and they had done jobs together, and, and he was literally going over there. And so I was like, well, why don't we not do that? Like, can I have your gun, and, and can we pray and walk this through? And he's like, all my stuff's over there. I got to go get all my work stuff so I can keep making a living, and so I called somebody that's kind of like what I would equate to a Martin Roddy type person in our church. And that person went over with them and they got their stuff. And um, they came back for a meeting that night, uh, a ministry much like how we have Cultivate on Sundays, a meeting just to, a ministry just to help people walk through the stuff of life and live in the, in the freedom in Christ that we're called to live and, and live victorious lives and, and came back that night by himself and uh, just fell in love with Jesus that night and got saved. And then that following Sunday, his wife comes to church and gets radically saved. And, and they begin living a life for Jesus that like made no sense on paper except Jesus. Where he reaches and where he goes, it doesn't need to make sense to us. Because Jesus what does what Jesus wants to do. They stepped into life with Jesus never the same again because when Jesus reaches for us we're reached that's just what he does uh, and he does it in so many different ways every story is unique I, I love looking back at the, the beginning of, of mankind and you're reading the, the you know the, the, the brokenness in the garden and then, and then Cain kills his brother right after that and, and, and it's this horrible scene and, and God comes to Cain and he's like you're going to have to you're going to have to go. You murdered your brother, and so you can't be here anymore. You're going to have to go out there. And Cain's like, what did you do to me? <laughs> like, I murdered my brother. How dare you bring any kind of consequence? And God's like, no, no, no. I'm going to cover you. No one's going to hurt you. Cain's like, they're going to all kill me because I did this. But you're doing this to me. And God's like, I'm going to cover you. I'm going to protect you because I'm gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And I pour out my love on you. Even in the midst of, of Cain murdering somebody and pointing the finger at God, God covers him and takes care of him. Ephesians 2, verses 13 and 14, we read about how we're far away from God until God comes and brings us back to him. He brings us near from death to life, from, from lost to found, to, from hopeless to hope, from sinner to saint. He transforms us 
from absolutely got nothing going for me to eternally joyful and that can't be stolen from me because Jesus came for us. Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. While we shook our fist at him, while you suffered with addiction, while you, while you plotted hurting somebody, while you were just lost in pride, whatever it was, Jesus died for you in that moment before you ever chose him. He died for you so that you could be found in him alone. I mean, look what he did for, for just one truly lost cause. It's a famous story in, in, in Luke chapter 8. We read about how Jesus reaches out which is the, the point of, of today's message. And I want to read the passage to you. We'll only have a few verses come up in just a moment. But, but I, I read this and I'm like, I'm so glad I matter. This is the famous story of Jesus and the demoniac or Jesus and the demon-possessed person. And in the story, they just had this amazing thing happen and they get in a boat, Jesus and his disciples, and they cross the Sea of Galilee and there's a storm, and we all know the, most of us know the story. He falls asleep in, in the boat, and the storm's about to capsize the boat. And they're like, wake up, hurry, look, we're dying. And Jesus speaks, and it calms down. And then, and then he says, why, why don't you trust me yet? To his disciples, and they land on the, on the shore. Uh, they leave from a side that's mostly uh, Jewish, Hebrew, to a side that's, that's uh, Gentile, that's... that's considered pagan on this other side that they kind of all stayed away from and it says in verse 26 they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes directly opposite Galilee as he stepped out onto the land a madman from the town met him <laughs> how would you like that you like land and they're like the crazy guy comes to greet you but it gets even worse or weirder he was a victim of demons he hadn't worn clothes for a long time nor lived at home duh uh he lived in the cemetery. Some versions will say he's, he lived in the tombs. I like to refer to him as a naked tomb runner. When he saw Jesus, he screamed. He fell before Jesus and he bellowed. What business do you have messing with me? You're Jesus, son of the, of the high God, but, but don't give me a hard time. The man said this because Jesus had already started to order the unclean spirits out of him. Time after time, the demon had thrown the man into convulsions. He'd been placed under constant guard from the people. He'd been tied with chains and shackles, but crazed and driven wild by the demon, he would shatter the bonds. So they, they couldn't even keep him chained up. He would break those. They'd have guards, and he'd like get away. I, I always assume he'd just run around eating pets for a, you know, a living and, and living naked up there. Uh, another another uh, one of the gospel accounts says that there were at least two of them uh, that did this. So it was like, you know, a commune of them. Uh, in verse 30, Jesus asked him, what's your name? Legion or mob. He said, my name is mob. In the message version and others that say, Leg it says legion. Many demons had afflicted him. They begged Jesus desperately not to order them to the bottomless pit. They knew Jesus' power, right? A large herd of pigs was browsing and rooting on a nearby hill. And the demons begged Jesus to order them into the pigs. He gave the order. It was even worse for the pigs than for the man. <laughs> Crazed, the pigs stampered over a cliff, fell into the lake, and they drowned. And this is the part we're going we're gonna to look at together. It's going to be on screen. Verse 34. Then those tending the pigs, scared to death, bolted and told their story in the town and country. People went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had been sent, sitting there at Jesus' feet, wearing decent clothes, 
and making sense. It was a holy moment. And for a short time, they were more reverent than they were curious. Then those who had seen it happen told how the demoniac had been saved. Later, a great many people from the Gerasene countryside got together. This is how sad it gets. And they asked Jesus to leave. Too much change, too fast. And they were scared. So Jesus got back in the boat and set off. But the man he had delivered from the demons asked to go with him. But Jesus sent him back saying, go home and tell everything God did in you. So he went back and he preached all over the town everything Jesus had done to him. I mean, this is a story like that if they made it into a movie, you'd be like, that was a little far-fetched, right? I mean, like, and Jesus just crosses through a storm that they're about to die in, and they get and they land, and then a, a, a naked, demon-possessed man greets him at the, uh, at the sea, at the, at the beach there, and says, don't, don't mess with us, Jesus. I mean, if you read, most versions use the word legion when the demon describes himself and gives his name. That term is, means 6,000. Like there's 6,000 demons possibly in this man and enough to where 2,000 pigs get filled with demons and then they fall off a cliff and they all drown. I mean, it's a crazy scene going on here. There's so many things in play, but the one thing that stands out the most, the thing that challenges me the most to the very end of myself when I read this story is how much is one life worth it to me? And that's a question we got to all wrestle with. The one life of your favorite person who makes your life great, yes, that's an easy answer most of the time. What about one crazed person, one person living insane, one person living full of themselves, one person addicted, one person just struggling and angry, one person you've never met before but looks scary? How much is that one person worth it to you? How much disruption am I willing to introduce into my life in order to help someone? How much am I willing to to have it cost me or disrupt my life or affect my own comfort to see a life transformed? Now, if you guarantee me, yeah, the Scott side of me would be like, yeah, that's a guarantee. What if it's not a guarantee? How much is that one life that Jesus is leading you to worth to you? Are you willing to interrupt your life for that one? Are you you willing to cross that sea just for the opportunity to speak to that guy one time? To go through a storm to talk to a person who's crazy or acting crazy or living selfish? Are you willing to navigate the storms of life just to talk to that person for a few hours and then maybe get back and and head back to whatever you were doing? That literal lunatic there in the story, I mean, he was out of his mind. That demon-possessed man, totally worth it to Jesus. Totally worth it. He was eventually healed and saved and, and, and made whole and set right. And then Jesus even gave him a mission to live out. He wanted to go with Jesus. Who wouldn't want to go with the guy that set you free, right? I mean, like, I, he, like if it were me, I'd be like, uh, okay, you know, calling a tax collector, awesome, fisherman, great. But like, if I, number one, I want to be with you, Jesus. But look, 
Like, if we could just tell my story, everybody's going to get saved. If, if I'm telling the story about what you did in my life and then you're preaching the gospel, everybody's going to get saved. It's a win-win. Like, this is marketing 101. Come on. I mean, that's part of what I'd be thinking. And Jesus says, you got to stay. Because they all know you. They know you as naked tomb runner who ate their pet dog, right? And so when you're standing there, they're going to be like, what? You? It'd be one thing if I went and told the story and be like, oh, that sounds good, but I don't know. But it'd be another thing if the one they know that looks like that now and has a brain like that and, and can talk like that and is like eating broccoli instead of puppies. You know, that, that guy telling the story is going to be like, oh, I'm going to listen in here. History shows us that, that when, when they went back to that area called the Decapolis, which was the 10 cities, that all of a sudden there were these vibrant churches everywhere. In fact, it's the first recorded area where we see that a church had to plant a campus, kind of what we would call a campus today, because they couldn't fit. But Jesus left after a few hours. How? How? We don't know exactly, but I can add one and one and get two. One demoniac set free, stayed, and told his story. And all of a sudden, there's 10 vibrant churches. And then one is so big, they got to start a second church from that church. I can add those two together and pretty much fill in critical thinking that that guy, used by God, that began to reach out with his story, changed everything in that in that Gentile area too. That's amazing. That's the reach we're called to live. So how much are you willing to interrupt life in order to reach radically into people's lives? And don't think, like if God takes you somewhere or calls you to do something, don't, don't think to yourself, yeah, but I'm not Jesus. Okay, like, like if he called me to that demon-possessed guy, I'm not Jesus, I don't have what Jesus has. Here's the thing, he's well aware of what you don't have. He's well aware of my, my limitations and my lack. It's not like, oh, I didn't know you weren't me. Number one, who's in us as saved people? The spirit of the living God. So yeah, we are like Jesus. And number two, we're still in process. We're already and not yet. We're, we're beautiful vessels on the potter's wheel. But here's the thing, you going out in your lack and your limitations talking about Jesus who has no limitations, only brings him the glory when something big happens because it ain't on you and it ain't because of me. He knows that we're not Jesus walking around planet Earth. At the same time, we are Jesus walking around planet Earth. We're called to reach others. And here's, here's the bottom line, really, when it comes to, in my opinion, of, of salvation and being on mission. When you get saved and you become a believer, you're automatically called to be a minister, yes, to be a missionary. If you don't think you are, then you're missing the point. We are, if we weren't, we'd be taken right away to heaven. We are left here to do the work of the gospel. We are the sent ones from God, that, that phrase, missio dei. God sends God. Well, now we're the ones he sends because we got the, the spirit of the living God in us. So in your lack, when you reach, the radical part of it is always all about Jesus. And we're talking about, about radical during these first two months of the year and, and, and how each 
thing that we live out that is radical gives us a faith that looks and acts and, and sounds like Jesus. When we reach in that way, whether it's at a high school and, and, a, and a basketball team or, or talking to somebody at a, at, a, at a concession stand or you're building a ramp for somebody who can't get out of their house without that ramp being built or or you're talking to somebody who's broke down because it looks like, wow, you know, my health looks like this or my marriage looks like that or what's the point of life? Look at America. Whatever it is, when you reach out to them with the gospel message of truth and hope and life and eternity, that's radical. And you're living out of faith like Jesus. Amen. And every story is unique. That's what I love about the gospel. It's like Jesus just does things. He doesn't do just one. We're only going to do it this way. It's like every story is unique. So it gives us hope that, man, we can reach anybody, anywhere, any way. Because the gospel just reaches through barriers that are set up. Jesus responds to each person. As an individual, there's no detectable formula that has to be done exactly that way. Except that in every case that we see in the gospel and in the life of anybody saved by Jesus, you see love and compassion. That Psalm 145 scripture we kicked off with. Some of your versions say the Lord is gracious and compassionate, and the one I read says merciful and compassionate. But he's got mercy, he's got grace to bestow upon us. He's got compassion to meet us where we are, whatever we're going through. His love is unfailing. We sang about that earlier. And then as you read on in, in Luke's gospel from that story, in, in chapter 9, we see that, that, that Jesus takes the ministry of the, of the kingdom that he's doing, and he says, hey guys, to the 12 originally, now you go. You see me do these things, now, now you go. Now, they hadn't been with him all that long. So it's not about them getting a, a, an eight-year PhD. It's not about them, you know, getting a, a good, you know, 30 years of church planting under their belt before they preach the gospel. I mean, they had just finished with, the, with the, the, the story of the demoniac and Jesus, they get back to the other side and they're doing some stuff and then he's like, hey, y'all go. Y'all go. He sends out the disciples to do what they had seen him do. He commissions the 12 to radically reach the world around them. And so they go out, they're sent out by Jesus with what they know to declare the kingdom of God, and, and we read on, on forward in, in chapter 9 and, and forward that they, they preached and they saw people healed and they, they were seeing people set free and they came back and they told Jesus, it's amazing, like we don't know anything except the few things we know and like it's changing the world around us. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to be the most brilliant theologian on the planet. Number one, that's always going to be just one person. Uh, so you don't have to be that one person. Take what you know. Were you lost? Are you saved? There you go. Yeah, but I don't know what to do when they ask about the Trinity. Tell them you don't know what to do and y'all can study the Trinity together. whoopity do. That's some of the greatest things. I love it when, I, when I'm like, I don't quite know. Let's study it together. And people are like, oh, wow. Okay. I remember 
a few years ago, living in San Antonio, and I was, there was this guy who wanted to talk uh, Bible and, and eternity and, and why people are so ignorant in following Jesus, and, and he wanted to be able to, to have me share and then poke the holes in it, was what I assumed. So we were sitting there at, uh, uh, at Starbucks, and we're, we're talking, and I have my Bible out, and we're, we're talking, and he's doing all the, what I would call the classic yeah, but these are the these are ways that Bible contradicts, and this is the way it's goofy, and we're all really just made to become dust, and later on, and all this stuff, and and we're talking and sharing, and this one guy walks up about the end of our time there, and and he's an older gentleman, looked very distinguished, uh, and he walks up and he he takes out a business card and he puts it on the table, and he, <laughs> he slides it towards my friend, but I, we didn't really become friends; we were more acquaintances. But he slides it towards him, and he says, "Hey." Eternity's a really long time to spend somewhere. And he slides it over and he said, you should listen more. And that guy took that card and he's like, you know, how dare he? And I was like, that's a good one. So I grabbed the card. I'm like, I want to know this guy. I ended up getting to know him, the guy who put the card down. Uh, He was a leader of Bible uh, Bible study fellowship in in the San Antonio area. Brilliant man, such a heart. But that phrase, eternity is a really long time to spend somewhere, has motivated me. When I am either nervous to talk to somebody about the gospel or I feel like it's a lost cause or, or like, ah, they're going to really despise me, their eternity is possibly on the line. Yeah. Mine's not. If you're saved, your eternity is not on the line. It's set. Like, you're, however long we live here, that's whatever. That's up to God. But our eternity is set. But for those who don't know Jesus, eternity is on the line every moment of their life. And let that motivate us to share the gospel with everybody we can share the gospel with. So what are you willing to do for the lost? I mean, look at God's joyful reach for us uh, later on in in Luke chapter 15. We we read that famous passage about uh, about the the 99 and the 1. And of course, the religious leaders yeah, uh, Jesus tells us the story of lost things, different stories, and, and the religious leaders are mad at Jesus, and they're like, they're like, how does he, why is he associating with sinners and eating with such scum? I mean, he calls them that, and I'm like, I'm glad he ate with this scum. And so Jesus told him this story, he says in verse 3, and in verse 4 it says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it, and when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. I mean, what a wonderful picture this gives us of our good shepherd. There's no beating the sheep for wandering away. Did the sheep wander away? Yes. A lost person is not lost because God lost them. They're lost because of something they did or chose or somewhere along the way. Jesus doesn't beat them up for, for being lost. He says, oh, come on. And he, he, he picks it up with joy and he puts it on his shoulder. He doesn't even make them walk back like 10 paces behind or backwards or with weights on. He doesn't make them earn back their return to the, to the, to the safety of the flock. I'm gonna, I, this is as close as I can get to you, right around my shoulders. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to hold on to you. I'm excited to go back. And then, and then if that's not enough, when I get back, we're having a party. 
because I had to come find you and leave everyone else and come find you in your lostness, I'm going to have a party. That doesn't even make sense, right? Except he's gracious and compassionate. God is in the business of restoration and celebration. Aren't you glad? He is in the business of restoration and celebration. He doesn't begrudge saving you. He certainly doesn't begrudge the person he sends you for him to save so that you can talk to them and minister to them and pray for them and care for them. And that's the the life we're called to live. And when we live that radical reach, we have a faith like Jesus and the world sees it. So our goal is that we do what's needed to take the gospel to those who need it and meet them where they are. Every one of us that got saved, God met us where we were. He didn't say, you got to come find me or earn my uh, time in my presence or, or put the time in so that I can, so that I can see that you know, you're, you've worked up enough hours. He comes where we are to find us. And so he sends us to where people are to find them. Now, sometimes they'll walk in a building or a room or walk into your house. I get that, but they're still where they are and you meet them where they are, here or here. And then sometimes we physically go where they are. The Apostle Paul said this about his life on mission, living out that radical reach in Acts 20, 24. He said, but whether I live or die is not important for I don't esteem my life as indispensable. It's more important for me to fulfill my destiny and to finish the ministry my Lord Jesus has assigned to me, which is to faithfully preach the wonderful news of God's grace. So we're going to have a a couple of moments of prayer here before we go to our final song of worship. We've been doing radical prayer every week. The first one is for that one of yours. Think of one. Just think of one. For this first prayer, I want everybody just to stay seated. The second one will stand. But think of that one, that person, that buddy, that couple. Because your one may be a couple. Your one may be a family. Your one may be your son and maybe your mom. One that you know and one that you can go to or invite over. And we're going to pray. Some of you right away, person came. Some of you are like, I don't know. I've got 30. I've got eight. I don't know. I'm scared to even think of one, God, because then I think you're going to make me go. Okay. I get it. We're, all, we're, we're somewhere on the board there. But as believers, we are called to go. So you think of your one. And if you don't have that one, ask the Lord to either show you the one or clarify if it's a group of of people and you're like, I want the one, God. And we're going to radically pray that we would commit to go to our one, whatever that looks like. And maybe you got to start something because maybe it's a coworker you don't really know that well. And so just going in full blazing might be like, oh, so Lord, give me strategy. I mean, God created a strategy, so he gives us perfect strategy. But let's pray for the one and commit to God to do that. If you're saved, online or listening on KBay, if you're saved, this is what we're called to do. If we don't do this basic, then we're missing the point of being saved. He bought us back so that he could use us to buy others back. That's the redeemed being redeemers. So let's pray and commit that to the Lord and then, and then we're going to pray one more radical prayer before we go to time of worship. Lord, I pray for every adopted son or daughter in this room. 
We were once orphans, prodigals, lost, and you found us, you bought us back, and you adopted us as sons and daughters, and then you said, now go. I commission you to go. We don't have to know it all because we'll never know it all. But Lord, for that one that you bring to our minds, would you give us a heart for, a a love for, compassion for, uh, that we would be merciful and gracious in talking to them, that we'd be unfailing in going to them and reaching out to them, that we'd commit to you right now that we will go and we will go and we will go and we will meet them where they are or we'll call them into our lives. Lord, help us to live on mission. Help us to cross the storms if we need to cross the storms to meet that crazed one. Help us to commit to, if, if, if I have to go this far, or do this just, just for two hours. I'm going to do that. Give us a, a passion and a compassion for the one, whether the one is an individual or a couple or a family. Help us to have the words to share, the heart to, uh, to open up to them the listening ears, just to hear them where they are. And Lord, if you, if you grant us the, the beautiful joy of seeing that one saved, would you help us to, to just joyfully pick them up and, and carry them and, and present them and say, look, my friend, my family member, my loved one, my coworker, they know Jesus now, let's party, let's rejoice. And if not, and we just play our role in sharing the gospel, let us continue to pray for and contend for and rejoice in the work you're doing in their lives. I come against any scheme of the enemy that would try to harass us and stop us from living out the gospel with our mouths and our hearts. Do not let the enemy have any play in my life or in anyone's life in this room or listening. That he would not hold us back, but that we would cross the seas to reach radically into people's lives. In your name I pray, amen. amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand right now. And um, The second prayer I felt like the Lord wanted me to have us pray radically was that, that Acts 20, 24 prayer. Paul says, it's more important for me to fulfill my destiny and preach the wonderful good news of God than to do anything else. So my prayer for us is gonna be that we radically reach out and share our faith in Jesus. Not just meet them where they are, not just listen and build relationship, but that we radically share the saving story of God in our own lives with people and not be ashamed of it or or scared of people poking holes in it. They they can try all they want, and I'm going to mess up a ton in my life. But you're not going to poke holes in Jesus. You're just not. We just love people where they are. So let's, let's pray. And if you would be so inclined, whether you want to lift your hands or just open up your arms, and just say, Lord, I, Lord, I, I just, I want you to empower me to go. May we have the commissioning of the 12 today. 12 men changed, well, really 11, because one <laughs> didn't come back. <laughs> 11 people changed the planet. Lord, Lord, we're commissioned by you. Give us a passion after you.
Give us a passion to share your story in our lives with everyone around us. May we radically live out Acts 20-24. May it doesn't matter what happens to me, my life uh, matters so inconsequentially compared to testifying about the gospel of God's grace and preaching the Christ crucified. Lord, help us to be ministers of grace, ministers of reconciliation, ministers of hope, all pointing to your story in us. We don't have to make anything up because you did it. You reached us when we were lost. May we share that story at every opportunity. And may we be excited to do it. We worship you now in spirit and truth. Minister to us, speak to us, continue to, to, to transform us into the very image of you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more full sermons and service replays, visit our media page at hcfburnett.org and follow us on social media. God bless you and have a great week.